Welcome into In Sportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me, as always, is David Meyer. David, how are you tonight? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? Doing great. Ready, ready to talk about this NBA Finals. It was an exciting one. I'd say probably the, one of the best finals we've had in years. So it's real exciting to get into. And we're going to start the show right away, getting into the NBA Finals. We're going to do a little buy or sell here, NBA Finals edition. So our first one up is Giannis will end his career, the most decorated NBA player of all time in terms of MVPs, trophies, anything he can bring in. Are you buying or selling that? I'm going to sell that. Just it's right away, I'm not sure how many he needs to become the most decorated NBA player of all time, but I would imagine it's a massive amount. It's got to be all-stars, all-NBA teams, all-defensive teams pretty much every year. And while I think he can do that, it's going to be how long does his career last and how productive is he continually throughout the duration of his career. And there are, for me, at least questions about his durability throughout the length of his career, just because guys with similar body types to him, those bigger, lanky guys, tend to get injured quicker. Uh, injured quicker. So I think that's my biggest concern, so that's why I'm going to sell. Yeah, I'm going to sell too. And durability is a huge reason why. I mean, a player, he, he's a fantastic player, an exciting player. But when you think about some of those other guys, like Wade and Derrick Rose, obviously different positions, those are both guards. But both play with the same type of similar disregard. They tend to get injured, bad knees. With Giannis, that could be something in his future if he does continue to play the way that he does. And when you look at how to become the most decorated NBA player of all time, it's tough for me to even pick one person and say, you are the most decorated player of all time. You look, okay, I want championships to be that decider. Okay, you look at a guy like Bill Russell. has I, think, I believe it's like 11. has a ton. And then you look at a guy like Michael Jordan. He has six, two straight three-peats. And you go, okay, can he get to that type of number? Kobe couldn't do it. LeBron hasn't done it yet. I don't know if he's going to be able to get there. This Bucks team is going to continue to get better, and they're going to continue to grow together. This win is huge for the confidence of that team, especially in their future, winning this series, because they were always a team that once they hit the postseason, I mean, they just kind of fell off a little bit. I mean, you look at the Heat series, and then this year they find a way to get it done, and they were in two different series where it looked like it wasn't going to go their direction, and they came out on top. So props to them, but you look at it, the Eastern Conference is going to get healthy. It's going to get better. And now you get that thing that everyone loves after you win a championship. The target's on your back now. Everyone wants to beat you. You are the championship winning team. You look at it. Going into the playoffs, you look at that Miami series. The target was on Miami's back. I know the Bucks had the better record, but the Heat knocked them out the year before. The Heat went to the finals, represented the Eastern Conference. The target was on their back. The Bucks wanted to beat them. Then you look at the Nets series. That's another series where the, this Nets team was, you could call it a super team. They came together. The target was on their back. The only series I would say the target wasn't the, was on their back was the Hawks one. And that one was a good series, and they found a way to get it down at the end. So I think that's going to get more difficult. And then you look at, okay, you have to have so many All-NBAs, MVPs. Now you're getting in the conversations with guys like Kareem, who I believe has the most MVP awards. And then... 
the LeBron James effect. And what I call that is once LeBron's gone, Giannis is going to be one of the faces of the league. He's one of the most exciting players. Now he has a championship. He has all these awards. He's going to get that same effect LeBron does where you could argue he deserves it every single year, but they're going to go in the other direction. It's just the way it is. He's going to have that happen to him going forward. So for me, I don't think he does, but I mean, you when you look at his career so far, if he can keep this up, he'll have a fantastic Hall of Fame NBA career without a doubt. So now moving on to our second one, buy or sell here. Chris Middleton and Giannis deserve more respect as a duo than they get. Are you going to buy or sell that? I'm going to buy that. Giannis is arguably one of the best players in basketball. Definitely top five for me. And just that in and of itself is in contention for one of the best duos. Just having a top five player, you're already, no matter who's next to you, you're going to be one of the best duos. And I think Middleton gives him, like, makes up for a lot of what Giannis lacks, mainly in shooting and passing. He really brings out the next level in Giannis that uh, Antetokounmpo really talked about in part of his uh, finals MVP speech. And just Middleton does a lot with the ball in his hands and without the ball in his hands, as well as defensively, that is hard to quantify. So I think they definitely don't get talked about enough as a duo. Yeah, I'm going to buy that as well. And when you look at it, I agree with you. Giannis is top five, without a doubt, player in the NBA. And last night, for me, just cemented that. He he took himself to a different level in terms of how you're respected as a player. His legacy took a huge jump forward. You have Giannis out there, who's done it for a couple of years now, just has gone unnoticed as much because it's not in the big games. He put up video game-like numbers. If you were playing my player in NBA 2K, that's the type of score you would get. 50 points, 14 rebounds, 5 blocks, 2 assists. Fantastic numbers in a closeout game at home. And you should say also, there were so many fans outside that game, in that game. That was a huge game for the Milwaukee Bucks, and Giannis goes out there and performs like that. And then you look at Chris Middleton throughout the whole entire playoffs. He had 18 points on 75% shooting in the clutch. So clutch shots, game tire, go-ahead buckets, 18 points on 75% shooting. The next closest to him in the postseason was four points in the clutch. It's fantastic what he did. And then I know we're talking about just the duo, but you want to add in Drew Holiday as well. He was plus 159 this playoff series, most out of any player in the playoffs. He played fantastic too. This Bucks team, it does deserve some more respect than they've been getting. This is a big win for them. They're, it's going to be more difficult because now you expect championships from the Bucks consistently. Before this season, for me, it was, okay, I don't expect a championship, but I need to see conference finals. That's why I talked about it a lot. I need to see conference finals. Once it was against the Hawks, though, it was, okay, you got to get there. And now that they got there and won, you expect more, but this duo deserves a lot more respect moving into next season. So now we're going to go to our third buy or sell here, NBA Finals edition. The Bucks cemented themselves as the best team in the East with this Finals win. You're going to buy or sell that? I'm going to sell that because uh, the other teams just weren't all that healthy, specifically the Nets. Uh the Bucks didn't have to play the hardest teams 
other than the Nets, that was the big one, and players on that team were injured. I'm not going to say this is a hollow championship or anything like that, because just to make it into the playoffs and make it that far and win, it requires so much talent and so much luck. So while it's hard to crown them the best in the East, it's they're definitely in that upper echelon where for the East this year and for the past years, it's been around three or four good teams and then just kind of teams that are around 500. They're in that three or four that are the top teams. Yeah, I'm going to sell that they're the best. And the Nets are the one team that comes to mind as well when I think about it. Another year of Kyrie, Harden, and KD together, I think is going to get even more scary for everyone else in the NBA because we didn't even really see a year with them together in general. So you get all three of them, another year of just that chemistry, team building around each other. They're going to be coming for revenge, especially against this Bucks team. You look at what Giannis and his different um, speeches he gave after he won the finals and finals MVP. He talked about how important it was to him to do this without a super team, not leaving to go win a championship, how easy that could have been for him. You know, I got I can't help but wonder, there's one player that he has a huge rivalry with in the NBA. His name's James Harden, who, I don't know, he forced his way out to go be with a super team type could that be a shot at James Harden and that Nets team? I think it was a little bit. Maybe if he didn't even mean it to come out that way. To me, being a rival with Harden like that, it comes out as a little bit of a shot. This Nets team is going to be hungry next year, but I think this Bucks team, while they're not, I can't, I'm not going to say they've cemented themselves as the best because anytime you have Harden, Kyrie, KD together, I don't think you can say on paper, just looking into a season, there's any team truly better than them. I think they're as close as you can get, though, in that Eastern Conference. And they have a real chance here to dominate the East while some of these other teams have to retool and get better. It's They have a chance to go at the Nets, and th- those two can be the top two teams within the Eastern Conference. So they are in a great situation at that. And so speaking of Kevin Durant, he said that this was the most even finals matchup since 2017. That would have been his first year in Golden State going up against the Cavaliers, a 4-1 series there. Are you buying or selling if this was the most even finals matchup since then? I'm going to sell that one. uh, Mainly because 2017 wasn't a very balanced finals. It it was 4-1, and you have two of the best players, the best shooters in this league, in Curry and Durant, going up against an injured Cavs team. It's not very even. If you say back to 2016, that's... That's when we can get on board. That's when I can get on board, at least. Uh, but this was a very, very balanced series. I I really thought it was going to go the other way. I expected the Suns to win. That being said, I am I will gladly admit I am wrong. I was wrong. Uh, the Bucks were just fantastic in this series. And it really never felt like any team was fully out of it. Maybe after Game 2, when the Suns were up 2-0, but as soon as the Bucks won Game 3, it felt like they were in it. Like, there was really going to be a series. So, I'm going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell that, and massively at that. That 2017 Finals, when you look at it, like you said, 4-1 series. 
there really wasn't much even about it. You got KD, Clay, Steph, Draymond, and then you have they still had the depth at that time too. You still have Iggy, Livingston, JaVel McGee, and Zaza. And then you look at that Cavs team, you got LeBron and Kyrie, and then from there, Kevin Love, who he was never really the same once he got to Cleveland in general. But then they didn't have another player outside of those three that scored over 10 points except Kyle Korver, and he was more of a uh, used sparingly type guy throughout the season. That series, there's really nothing close about it. The Cavs shouldn't have been in that series, and they weren't. So that's how that went. The 2016 finals, I thought that was a great one that you brought up. You even go back to the Heat-Spurs finals, great ones at that. Picking the 2017 finals as the most even one, I can't get on board with that whatsoever. There was really nothing even about that series, and that's why you saw 4-1, and then the year after, especially with Kyrie gone, 4-0. I mean, when you go, you have the best record in NBA history in the regular season, and it's a seven-game series, and then you go out the falling off season and add a top-five player in the league to your roster, you instantly shift the tide a lot in your direction. So we're going to move on to our next buy or sell here. Looking at this series, buy or sell, the Suns blew this series. I'm going to sell that one. I see where it's coming from, definitely. They did lose four straight, which is just devastating as a team. But they were never like 100% out of it. They stayed close up until the very end in pretty much every game. And coming into the playoffs and this series specifically, both of us had talked about the Suns are the hottest team in the league. And I think they just cooled off at the absolute worst time. And that's really why they lost. I don't think there was any true like big moment where they you can point out and say, all right, they blew it right there. Where other finals you can go back and specifically the J.R. Smith moment, not knowing just and what's going on with J.R. Smith there. Um, so I'm going to sell that. I think they stayed in it for every game. Yeah, for me, I'm going to buy it just because, like you said, the 2-0 start and then the loss of four. Not taking anything away from the Bucks though. I mean, they were fantastic. Not taking anything away from them. I'm only buying it because... It, the Suns should have been able to grab a couple of those games. You look at Devin Booker to close out this series last night. He struggled down the stretch. And then you look at it. You made a great point. The team was red hot. And then all of a sudden, it was just gone. They were not playing the same. And then all these guys that were stepping up, and not necessarily red hot players, but were stepping up in big moments for this team, stopped. And that all stopped happening. And I'm, I'm buying it. Because this was a real opportunity for the Suns as well. As much as this was a great opportunity for this Bucks team, this was a fantastic one for the Suns. They had all the momentum, all the opportunity in the world up 2-0 to get this thing done and weren't able to hold on. So for me, that's why I bought it. But that, again, is taking nothing away from this Bucks team. They played fantastic to come back within that series. So now looking at it, we talked about the Bucks. Do you buy or sell that the Suns are a top three team in the West heading into next season? I'm going to buy that. I was very high on the Suns coming into this uh, season that just ended, and they absolutely blew away my expectations. 
and I think they're going to be a top three team again. Uh, it's definitely going to be harder this year, tougher competition. And the big question is, are you going to get Chris Paul back and for how much if you are able to retain him? And then you're going up against teams that have gotten healthy, retooled. Uh, the Warriors are hopefully going to be healthy. The Lakers, uh, the Clippers, we'll see uh, how long Kawhi is out for. Nuggets, Jazz, both had some injuries. So it's going to get tougher. It's definitely going to be tougher, but I believe that this Suns team is still uh, top three in the league when all those guys are healthy. Yeah, when I look at the regular season, and do I think they'd be a top three record-wise in the regular season? I could see that, um, a lot like they were this year with a two seed. I'm going to sell um, that they are a top three team right now heading into next season because when I do look at it, all the health of those players is one key factor for me. I mean, we're talking big-time players they are going to be coming back. Clay Thompson, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, Jamal Murray. I mean, this is top-tier talent in the NBA, all going to be coming back. They're for sure a top five team within the West. That's without a doubt, top to bottom, they are there. But if I'm going into the playoffs and I'm looking at all these different rosters, I do think that there's a couple more I'd probably rather take heading in just because situation-wise, guys who can step up. The Chris Paul is a huge one. That's going to be the first domino this offseason for this Suns team they have to figure out. If they do get him back, I do think they're right there in contention for a top three team once again, and they very easily could be one. If they do lose Chris Paul, it'll be interesting to see how he's replaced, but his veteran leadership will be missed, but I think he's done his part in terms of bringing the veteran leadership to this team. I mean, they went all the way to the finals. They've seen what it takes to get there, and now they know what it takes to pull this off. You can't get there up 2-0 and take your foot off the gas. They know what it takes now, so... I think this team, definitely a top five team heading into next year. I'm just not buying that they're quite that top three team, but top five without a doubt. And speaking of Chris Paul, final buy or sell here for this NBA final series. Are you buying or selling that Chris Paul will not run it back with the Suns next year? I'm going, that's that's very tough. That's absolutely a tough uh, choice because it really depends on if he wants money or if he wants rings I think he's going to run it back with the Suns so that would be selling it the caveat being I think he's he's going to decline his option and sign something multi-year for I would imagine less than 44 million dollars which is what his current option would be for uh probably something around two years with a third option year and like 30 million a year around that seems what it would be uh the estimate from my end at least but we'll we'll see how that uh hashes out yeah i'm gonna sell as well with you on that one i i am doing that for a couple different reasons i agree if the tag is too much something will be done there I think he opts out but he comes back on a redone deal and when I look at it the Suns team could they go in a different direction and try to find a new running mate for Devin Booker sure they could go in that direction cheaper younger route but I think you look at first off CP3 going this far with this team I believe that means a lot to him and something he wants to run back 
He wants to get back in this situation and finish this off. This is the farthest he's ever made it in the playoffs, and he knows his team has the talent. It's a talented team. Can he end up on one of those teams that we talked about that we argued could possibly be better than the Suns next year? Can he end up on one of those? It would be tough to pull something like that off. So coming back to the Suns will make a ton of sense. And his relationship with head coach Monty Williams. I mean, they have a fantastic relationship. And I guarantee when it comes down to contract time, where he could end up, that's going to come into play with this team, this organization. So I do think he tries to run it back. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him opt out just to come back a little bit cheaper and try to get that ring. I mean, Chris Paul's at that point. It's You need a ring right now. Your legacy is dangling on a ring. You bring that in. You'll go down with the best, but if you don't, that will always be held against you, especially in today's NBA. So now we're going to shift over to the NFL here before we take our first break. And the big topic this week in the NFL world, Aaron Rodgers turned down a record-setting massive extension would have made him the highest-paid player in the NFL. If Aaron Rodgers is doing that this late in the offseason, that's not good if you're the Packers organization whatsoever. What is it going to take to get Aaron Rodgers back under center for Green Bay this season? Uh, that's a question only Aaron Rodgers can answer, but it's got to be something from the front office. And it's not money. It's not uh, contract years. It's. I think Aaron Rodgers wants like an admission of guilt is, is kind of what he wants. Uh, and I don't think any GM or any owner or any sort of player any uh key person in any organization is ever gonna give you uh an admission of guilt or wrongdoing which that that seems like what Aaron Rodgers wants uh but it it does not bode well I think he just doesn't want to be in Green Bay he's just tired of it he's tired of uh basically everything around the organization that being said he did just win a ring with the bucks which is weird to say yeah i I will say i wish it was larry fitzgerald that won the ring over aaron Rodgers, but that's who ended up with the ring yep if i'm green bay there's nothing after he turns that down there's nothing you can do you have his playing time that is on you right now you get that possibility to bring him back because he can't go anywhere else you hold his cards his future sit with you right now he can't leave right now and also it's gonna take a lot of hope hope that he comes around plays this year out and if you look at it too with Aaron Rodgers it's a tough situation for Green Bay to be in obviously because they want Aaron Rodgers with the team if you're Aaron Rodgers I don't see a whole lot of places better especially this late in off season that you can go that's better than the Green Bay Packers currently issues aside with the front office but also Aaron Rodgers turning down this massive extension I believe it locked him to the team with the team for the next three to four years yes he's going to turn that down he clearly wants out so in this season if he's going to play it has to be for Green Bay if Green Bay says so but once he's out of this season then it comes fair game. They really There's an opportunity Aaron Rodgers can get out of here. His cap hit lowers in terms of how much Green Bay would have to eat. Things look good for Rodgers and the Packers. Why would he then 
take this massive extension to get rid of that opportunity for himself. You already turned down the chance to make him the highest paid player when he asked for it the first time. And now that he clearly wants out and has this real opportunity, probably a plan already in place to get out of here after this year, and he turns it down, it's not surprising. If you're Green Bay, you better hope. That's all you can do is just hope that he shows up. And now speaking of those teams, what teams would still even be in play for Aaron Rodgers at this point in the offseason, training camp starting? Some already have started, some have reported, but starting by next week. Uh, the the two big teams that make sense right now that he said he would be willing to go to, uh, he doesn't have he does not have a no trade clause, so he doesn't really have much say in where he goes. But the three teams he said he wants to go to or would be happy going to are the Broncos, the Raiders, and the Niners. Uh, I don't think the Niners are going to happen. They they're invested in Trey Lance. So it's really the Broncos or the Raiders. And neither team seems all that ideal to me. But I I really think that uh, Rodgers is just not, not going to be playing for the Packers again anytime soon. He could possibly be back, uh, I think, mid-season. Either he's coming back after training camp... Or like mid-season for some reason. That just seems like what Aaron Rodgers would do. But this this extension offer, them saying like, here, we'll, we'll give you the house, everything you want, is really telling to me, showing how little faith they have in Jordan Love. He was supposed to be the next guy. You were going to bring Jordan Love in and have him sit behind Rodgers like you did Rodgers sit behind Favre, and you you have no faith in Jordan Love. That's what this move, that's what this extension offer really signals to me. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That really is what it does there. And also, you brought up the 49ers in that point there. The 49ers were reported to have made an offer, and John Lynch certainly did not say no when asked if he did send that offer for Aaron Rodgers the night before the draft. And the Packers turned them down then. Looking back at it, if you could have got the second, the third overall pick in the draft, your choice of these young quarterbacks, if that's what you wanted, could that be something that the Packers wish they would have done? But when I look at these other teams, you talked about Denver, you talked about Vegas. Neither of them are in the position Green Bay is in right now, top to bottom roster-wise, to compete. Denver has a, has a good defense, has some nice weapons, but it is going to be... You're going into a division with Patrick Mahomes, and you certainly will not have the best roster to go up against Patrick Mahomes twice a year and trying to win that division. And same with Vegas, except Vegas overall, I think, just has a worse, a little bit more worse roster than that of the Broncos. Another team that has shown interest, um, well, they showed interest in Deshaun Watson, is the Philadelphia Eagles. Could they try to make a play for him? And if that's the situation, that would be terrible for Aaron Rodgers to have to go play in Philadelphia. Weapons-wise, you really have nothing. You have Devontae Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner. But outside of that, you really don't have much. No good defense. An old, aging team. That would be worst-case scenario for you. But that's the type of teams you now have left to go play for. Bad teams that don't have a quarterback yet are the only teams you have a true shot of getting to. So it's going to be very tough for Aaron Rodgers if he does try to continue to push for a trade 
to end up somewhere where he's going to improve his legacy like some of these other guys. There's been some other quarterbacks that have switched teams, Hall of Fame QBs that have switched teams at the end of their careers. You look at Brett Favre, Joe Montana, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees. The list goes on. Quarterback Hall of Fame QBs that have switched. Who do you believe is the best QB to ever switch teams? I think it's Brady. Just it Brady's the best to ever play at the position. So and he's switched teams and had success with his second team. So I think that's it's a pretty easy choice. Uh the only like the runner up for me would probably be Peyton Manning going from the Colts winning a Super Bowl there and then uh having that time off for a injury and then going to the Broncos and winning a ring there. So I it's Brady and then probably uh Manning. Yeah, Brady, Manning, both I think get put in the conversation too and should be at the top because they won rings. Drew Brees, another guy who won a ring with the team he switched with. And it also, you look at it too, Joe Montana and also Brett Favre, both had great success once they got two new teams. Obviously Favre now with the Jets, but with Minnesota, had them in the conference championship game going up against the New Orleans Saints and was one mental error throwing across his body away from it probably advancing on and going to a Super Bowl with that Vikings team. So you look at these guys, it's tough to pick one. Uh, Brady, obviously, I think would be my top choice. But Drew Brees is another guy. I, lo- I love what he did for the city of New Orleans in terms of he really brought the city together. And that you look at the New Orleans Saints organization, they all, the team, the fans, everybody bought into Drew Brees and what he could bring to that football team. And he did everything he could for that team. When he retired... Nearly had all the records. It was second. Him and Brady were going, been going at it. They're one and two in nearly every passing record you can get. So for me, any three of those, any of those three, you cannot go wrong with. Both, fan, all three, fantastic. All have rings. All had records when they retired. So we're gonna take our first break here on Unsportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're gonna get into our NFC North predictions. It could get interesting as to if we see Aaron Rodgers playing Week One or not. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me, as always, is David Meyer. And before we went to break, we were talking about Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. And now we're going to shift into our NFC North predictions here. We've gone division by division each week for the last two months here. And now we're getting down. This is our final division to predict here before we hit playoffs and awards for the NFL season. NFC North here. A good division, but it's going to be a challenging one to predict who's going to end up where because we don't know if Aaron Rodgers is going to play. So to open up here, our Packers prediction is based upon if we think Aaron Rodgers is going to play or not. Make it even a little more difficult to get the correct prediction here. First first in the NFC North, who do you have coming in there? Uh, as you said, definitely a an incredibly hard uh, division to predict. And I think this one is a little uh, skewed, hometown bias. I have the Bears uh, coming in at the one spot in the NFC North, uh, 12 and five. I think their biggest obstacle this year is gonna be Matt Nagy, which is not something you want. You don't want your coach to be your biggest obstacle. He, there's just something not quite. I think he wants to stick with uh, Andy Dalton because he said that and he doesn't want to go back on it. 
and that's I believe is the wrong choice. I think they should be starting Justin Fields week one. And that's, I think, the biggest thing to me is he has to just simplify the play calling and start Justin Fields, and they should be a very good football team. Their defense is fantastic. There's a couple questions at uh, corner because Kyle Fuller did leave in the offseason, but uh, Chuck Pagano as defensive coordinator is gone, and I think that's going to help a lot. Uh, not a shot at Chuck Pagano. He's a fantastic coach. I think the league is just different now, and he didn't really adapt to that. So I think the new defensive coordinator is going to bring back that Vic Fangio defense, uh, force a lot more takeaways, and just be a better overall team. Yeah, for me, I'm predicting Aaron Rodgers does play, does come back. I had the Packers coming in at first in the division at 12-5. and five. So start off, Rodgers plays. And when you look at it, this team, to me, top to bottom, I would say is probably the best team within the division, just pure talent-wise, top to bottom. And that's going to help them out a lot in terms of Rodgers just walking back in the door week one. Let's say that's what happens. That's going to help them out a lot because that's a good thing. Aaron Rodgers doesn't need an offseason. He doesn't need to be around the team. This is going to be his third year with LaFleur at the head coaching spot. He knows this offense. He was the MVP in it last year. Maybe this time away can help him kind of just come back and just kind of love the game again and be fine in Green Bay. If you're a Packers fan, you better be hoping. But the thing about this Packers team that always gets me, they're a fantastic regular season team. Fantastic. Always. 12 wins plus with Aaron Rodgers when he plays full years. They went 15-1. and They've gone 13-3 and twice in the last couple of years. I had them coming in at 12-5 and this season. But this Packers team, you can't keep hovering around good regular seasons and not winning the big one in the postseason. You look at 2019. You played a 49ers team the regular season. That at the time, a lot of Packers fans were saying, oh, no chance, this team isn't legit. They dominated you at third place. That right there kind of set up who would be getting the one seed. It wasn't going to be you. You lost the advantage there. Now you have to go back there. And, I mean, a revenge game, a chance to get back at the team that embarrassed you on Sunday Night Football in the NFC Championship game. And you get embarrassed again. And then you play Tampa Bay last season. And it was just a couple different errors that were just, how does that team 13-3? and three? You look at one, Kevin King, right before halftime, sitting and letting Scotty Miller get behind him. The one rule is a corner that close to halftime. Do not let anyone get behind you, and you let Scotty Miller blow right past you. Then you look at Aaron Rodgers. Did he have a chance to run in? Did he not? That's for you to decide. But where Tom Brady made a couple big plays to put that game away, Aaron Rodgers didn't. You can tell me all you want about the stats left and right. Tom Brady just made a couple more plays to put that game away than Rodgers did. This Packers team, they can win this division all they want, but they need to actually make noise come postseason time if they really want to be considered with the best in the league. So now that my rant with the Packers is over, who do you have coming in the second spot in the NFC North? In the NFC North, I have the Packers. I think he's not going to play. He just... We we talked about it. I feel it seems like he has been slighted and he's not going to let that go. Uh, that being said, 
I think the Packers are still a very good team, just up and down. Jordan Love has not shown very much, and the team isn't all that committed to him. Uh, so it could be Jordan Love starting. It could be Blake Bortles starting. Either way, I think their defense and just talent all around brings them to about 10-7, and seven, which a very good record still. There's really talent all over the place. They have one of the best lines, I think top five receiver in the league, and probably top 10 uh, running back. So you're going to have success. It's just you don't have Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and not having Rodgers would be a huge blow to this team, especially come postseason time as well. Second in the NFC North for me, I have the Chicago Bears coming in at a record 10-7, and and they are a wild card team for me in my postseason predictions. A little shout-out to next week when we do our playoff bracket. But for me, this season starts and ends with Justin Fields, how he develops, how he plays, what you see from him. I did not think Justin Fields, I know the Bears moved up for him, but I did not even think Justin Fields would be there at the 11th overall pick. I really didn't. There was teams I thought would hop and hop up and get him. The Bears make it to 11. They made the move. Props to them. They were a team that was sitting. It was looking like it was going to be kind of a rough year for them, starting to Dalton the whole year, which could have went fine. But you still need to answer the QB position at some point, and you get Fields. Big move. Big time move. You got fans excited. The organization should be excited. That whole team should be excited by this move. Justin Fields has all the ability in the world to come in, and if he can come in and be the best quarterback to ever play for the Bears, if not just this year, but career-wise, if he comes out there and performs, he has that type of talent, and you look at it, this isn't just at Ohio State. High school, fantastic, multiple championships. You look at his Elite 11 going up against Trevor Lawrence. Who won? It was Justin Fields. You look at, uh, and then you go to the college football playoffs two years in a row. Loses to Lawrence on just the wrong route, and he's, Chris Olave slips, gets picked off, game over. He gets the opportunity to play him again, puts up his best performance as a college football player. This guy is a gamer. He's a winner. He's fantastic. Then you look at this defense. They took a step back last year from what we expect from the Bears defense, but they can very easily get back to that form. And the one thing, it all starts with this team to me with the pass rush. I mean, if that pass rush starts getting home, you can have some a weaker secondary in terms of, you said the cornerback position, a little bit weaker than it was. You can have that if your pass rush plays like the Bears pass rush should. Robert Quinn needs to step up. He's got to make plays. He's shown he can do it in Dallas with the Rams. Now he needs to be consistent in Chicago. Khalil Mack, you know he's going to get double, triple teamed every single game. But he, I think he can wreak even a little more havoc now. This defense for me, I think gets better. But it starts with that pass rush. I think they get better, and that's what makes this whole this whole team get better. This Bears team's interesting to me because they're in a good position. And to me, yes, you could say I want a couple more pieces here and there. But they have a real opportunity to go out there, surprise some people, and put themselves in a position come playoff time that not a lot of people thought they would be at. And that's what's so intriguing about this team. And, I mean, we're sitting here talking about Aaron Rodgers. Everyone in the media is talking about Aaron Rodgers. You know the Chicago Bears are thinking about Aaron Rodgers. If he doesn't go out there and play, this is really their division to go out there and win. And so, for me, 
I would be starting Fields week one. If that's not the case, get him in there early. Let him get that playing time because I think he's going to be fantastic. I really do. And so now moving to our third spot in the NFC North, who do you have there? Uh, I have the Minnesota Vikings at 7 and 8. They're just kind of okay. There's not anything crazy. They definitely added uh, very well in the draft to their offensive line, which was a straight-up mess last season. But I think their defense is just not good enough to keep them in games. They'll be able to put up a lot of points. You have uh, Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, but Kirk Cousins as that like that star position of quarterback, he's just kind of middle of the road, and I don't think he's enough to bring them past 9-8 uh, and eight with how weak their defense is. So I think they'll be a solid team that can get overlooked and that offense can have big games, but just I don't think they're consistent enough for me to rank them any higher, give them any more wins. Yeah, I'm a little bit lower on the Vikings just because I think the NFC North is going to be better than it was last year. And also, you look at they're playing the NFC West as well. I think those are going to be challenges for this Vikings team. I have them at 6-11, and 11, which is a little low for them, but I have them there because I look at their offseason moves that they made. In the draft, they added to the line I, great moves. You look at Darisau, you look at Wyatt Davis, nice moves at that. The guard and tackle spots. And then I look at their free agent signings, some of their bigger ones on the defense. I'm not a fan. I'm really not. You look at Patrick Peterson, he's not the same guy that he was. Can he be a consistent corner for you? I don't think so. I think he's going to give you some bright spots, but you're not going to get consistent, good corner play from Patrick Peterson. That's just not what he's built to do anymore. And then you look at Brashad Breland. He's a guy that's up and down as well. He can be shaky at times. Xavier Woods. So you go and add a secondary piece from the probably the worst secondary in football from the Dallas Cowboys. And then they bring, they bring in Dalvin Tomlinson. On the defensive line, which he's an underrated guy. He plays well. But the ads that they made in the secondary just really aren't very exciting to me. I don't think it makes them a whole lot better of a secondary. You lose Anthony Harris also. This team, for me, I think they're taking a step back defensively. The O-line will be better. It's going to rely heavily on that offense. And do you have the weapons to contend through your offense? Sure. Sure you do. Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook. I mean, those three together rival nearly anybody in terms of just trios of offensive weapons they rival any anyone else out there but it comes back to the point you made Kirk Cousins Kirk Cousins if you put him on a contender he'll look fantastic he'll look great 30 plus touchdown guy he's done it with the Vikings when they were made the playoffs you put him on a team with a slacking defense like this the weapons sure his stats might look nice but I don't expect him to keep up in shootouts with the likes of Aaron Rodgers, with the likes of Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford now with the Rams. I, d- I don't expect him to keep up in those games. So for me, I have them at 6-11. and 11. I would say that's the lower end. I could see them pushing up 7-8 wins. But for me, 6-11, and 11, I think that's where they fall to this year because I do think they take a step in the wrong direction. And now the final spot in the NFC North. We both have the same team remaining and... At this point, I really don't know how you wouldn't 
have them as your last team remaining. Why are the Detroit Lions your last team in the NFC North? I mean, just first and foremost, they're the Detroit Lions. <laughs> Come on. Last season, they uh, only won four games and just against teams they should have beat. I'm sorry, that's five games. The Falcons, the Jaguars, those are teams you should be beating easily. Those are those are wins for pretty much every team but the Texans. Speaking of the Texans, you lost to the Texans. I don't know how they were the worst team in football. And just they've just kind of forcefully regressed. I I understand they're kind of going for a rebuild, but they haven't been rebuilding for the last 20 years. They're just bad game in and game out. And you took away your best piece with uh, Matthew Stafford. He's gone now. You can't rely on him. And Jared Goff, I, I think Jared Goff is a decent quarterback, but he was really, the, the times he showed flashes of greatness was when he was with Sean McVay. You don't have Sean McVay here. You have Dan Campbell, who's, I, I don't, I can't even approach Dan Campbell seriously as a fan and as a, I guess, media member, technically. I, I can't even talk about Dan Campbell. Yeah, I mean, you look at the situation Jared Goff is put into. I mean, a bad team. You have to sit there and worry about your kneecaps because, I mean, you got Dan Campbell talking about uh, biting off people's kneecaps left and right. This team is bad. I mean, they're really bad. You have major losses, Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, and like you said, Stafford. Stafford, you could argue, is up there in your top three best players in franchise history. You look at Calvin Johnson, Barry Sanders, and then Matthew Stafford. There's a good argument for him with that three spot there. Those are huge losses for this team. And just talking quarterback to quarterback with Goff, Jared Goff was never elite with Sean McVay and with a Super Bowl contending roster around him. He had the Super Bowl season was kind of his breakout year, and he failed to really live back up to that ever again with this Rams team. So now you go from one of the top rosters in the NFL with, I mean, arguably the best player, Aaron Donald, on your team. Now you take a step back to this Lions team where, I mean, you probably don't have a all-pro member on this whole entire roster. I mean, it's, it would be tough to come by looking through this Lions team. You have Dan Campbell's head coaching spot. I wasn't a fan of the hire when they brought him in. After seeing the press conferences, not a fan still. Dan Campbell's a guy for me. I wonder how he ended up with the coaching job. He comes straight from the tight end spot, I believe, in New Orleans. He was interim head coach in Miami in before around 2010, 2008 to 2010, somewhere in there. So now you bring him in to be your head coach. What credentials does he bring in to beat out some of these other guys? Especially a guy like Robert Sala. If you want to go, if you want a defensive route, you bring in a guy like Robert Sala, who just led one of the best defensive units with a completely injured team. You could argue, okay, that's a good hire to bring in. A guy like Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City. I mean, the list goes on of guys that you could have brought in that you passed on for Dan Campbell. One of the earlier hires at that, bringing him in. For me, it starts up top with this organization until things change up top. 
they're not going to get any better. I will say the one thing I respect the Lions organization for is letting Stafford go via trade. You saw with Calvin Johnson, didn't want to let him go. Then with Barry Sanders, also didn't want to let him go. This was a the right move. Stafford deserved to go somewhere, win a championship, try to win a championship, I should say. You get a good return on investment there with the picks you get back. Is the future bright? I don't even I don't even know if I could say that. I don't see a direction with this team. Lions bad. I have them coming in at 2 and 15 on this season and it I really could see that happening with how bad things have gotten. So now before we take our second break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct, we're going to talk about a massive extension that came down today. 49ers linebacker Fred Warner signs a 5-year, $95 million extension, 40 million of it guaranteed. When you look at Fred Warner and all he's done in San Francisco and in the NFL, is he the future of the position? I think so. He's definitely one of those guys who's going to be at that position long term. And he's going to, not just at that position long term, the top players at that position long term. I think the uh, the other two guys at linebacker that jump out to me that are still young and the best players, uh, Darius Leonard and then Roquan Smith. They're all young, uh, early, mid-20s, have six prime years left, and they're all pros, pro bowlers. They're just the top tier of this position, they're, and they're going to stay that way for a while. And talk about, too, I agree. I think that he is the future, and those guys are also the future of the position at linebacker. Talk about that 2018 linebacker draft class. Leonard, Warner, and Roquan Smith all came from it. Fantastic picks. And when you look at it, it, you look at what he does in the prototype, that's the type of linebacker everyone in the NFL wants now, is that Roquan, Darius Leonard, Fred Warner prototype. You want a guy who is fast, flies sideline to sideline consistently, and also is one of the smarter players on your team. You want a guy at your linebacker spot, you want a green dot guy. You want a guy who's getting the calls, um, making all your different changes defensively. Another big one, and that's why I think a guy like Fred Warner, Darius Leonard, Roquan Smith, they've really stepped up and they're going to get massive paydays, is this league is so pass-heavy now, you have to be able to cover. And you look at Fred Warner, he's statistically the best pass-coverage linebacker in the league, and he's able to go up against the likes of slot receivers, and they they trust him out there man-to-man against slot receivers, and that's what helps this defense out all around is having him, and especially out of the backfield, what he's able to do is take running backs away. That is so important in the NFL these days. And you look at these linebackers. When I talk flying sideline to sideline, they want to close lanes in a hurry, and the NFL now is shifting to a lot of misdirection, outside-type runs. They want to try to hit the edges, get their speed guys going, and that's where guys like Fred Warner, Darius Leonard, Roquan really step up for their teams. Linebackers no more asked to just be maulers in the middle and just fill, go up against a fullback and just fill gaps in the middle. Sure, these guys are asked to do that, but that was like guys like Ray Lewis, that's what they were consistently asked to do. Just go out there, be the most physical player on the field, and disrupt plays, uh, heavy runs up the middle, be a disruptor. Now they're asked so much more. I mean, these guys are running lanes 
that are off of tackles, off of tight ends, out on the edge. They have to get there, make tackles in open space consistently. They're really making the plays that safeties and Ray Lewis's time consistently made. And that's what linebackers are asked to do today. And that's why these guys are going to get paid. They're going to get huge paydays, and they deserve every penny of it because without them, their defenses would take a massive step backwards because they do so much for the team. And a lot of these guys really go unnoticed. Guys like Darius Leonard, Fred Warner, and also Roquan Smith. Unless you're a true fan of that team or just a basic fan of that team, if you were a different team looking at them and didn't really pay attention to them, you may completely blow by them when you were looking at how good they are. And for me, they deserve a lot more attention than they really get because they do a ton for their defenses. We're going to take our second break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to take a look at Cam Akers tears his Achilles this week and how big of a loss that is going to be for the L.A. Rams. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into it, Sportsmanlike Conduct on KLA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me, as always, is David Meyer. And before we went to break, I kind of talked about Cam Akers. He tore his Achilles this week, Rams running back, and that's a big loss for this team. How do you think it affects the Rams this season? I think it's definitely going to affect them, but I believe a little less than a lot of people think. Uh, Cam Akers was absolutely phenomenal, just a breakout player for the Rams, but that wasn't really their big uh, that the run game was not the reason the Rams were good. Yes, they they were a top ten team in running, but that was kind of just run to set up the pass. Uh, you still have Daryl Henderson, who was uh, that that run by committee guy next to Cam Akers. They had just one yard difference between the amount of yards they had in total. And I think uh, Henderson will be able to manage. There's probably, uh, the Rams are probably going to have to get someone in, uh, get bring in a free agent, maybe a trade. I would imagine free agent. But they're going to have to replace part of his, his production. But in this league now, running backs are becoming more and more replaceable. Yeah, I agree. Running backs are pretty replaceable. I think this affects the Rams because I think Sean McVay in this offense had a high hopes in terms of what Cam Akers was going to turn into. To end last year, he was really turning into a dynamic running back for this team. He was getting better, and it was it was clear that he was going to be a big part of the offense this year. When they brought in Matthew Stafford, he's been a guy who's historically one of the best play-action passers in the NFL. That's what they brought him in here for. I think that affects them because now, to me, this Rams team, no matter who you do bring in, you almost would rather be a pass-first type offense as opposed to a run-play-action team like I think they wanted to become, which I don't think is a big deal. McVay and Stafford will be able to get by doing that, but now you do have to settle for that. And Daryl Henderson, I think he could do a decent job coming in for Cam Akers. I just think it's the hope that they had for him and what he was going to turn into. That's really what affects this Rams team because he was a guy that a lot of people thought was going to take a next step and become this true number one guy for this team. He has the receiving ability. He has the rushing ability. 
now you lose that. That's going to be tough for this Rams team. But if anyone's going to be able to make up for it, it's going to be guys like Sean McVay. These really good offensive guys. They find ways to put other players in good positions to help set up this offense to overcome big losses like that of Cam Akers this past offseason. So now, looking at it, not going to play at all this year, but we'll be ready for 2022. You talked about some names that could replace him. Who specifically do you think could come in and be that Rams running back or a number two guy, help make a nice duo in this backfield? The first one that jumped out to me right away was Adrian Peterson. He's been just a back that's been very consistent in this league for years. That might be a detriment to his value right now because he is 36. Uh, Another one that jumps out at me, again, on the older side, Frank Gore. But I think probably the number one option in my mind just on talent, is Le'Veon Bell. We, He's not the Steelers' Le'Veon Bell, and I don't think he ever will be, but he's still a talented runner who is just a very intelligent player at the running back position, and I think he'll be able to help really stretch out, and he has so, he's multifaceted, and that is very helpful for any offense, but especially with Sean McVay. Yeah, the receiving aspect of his game could really help take this Rams offense to the next level and kind of try to compensate for some of that uh, loss you have with Cam Akers. For me, I think they're going to try to go into the season with Daryl Henderson kind of being the guy and just rotating their offense around that, letting him be a not a necessarily huge part of the offense, but go pass first, put Stafford in a little bit of a tougher spot, so that you don't have to replace a guy like Cam Akers. But I think a veteran coming in makes sense. I hope, and I hope, Frank Gore will never put a Rams jersey on after all those years he spent in San Francisco. But if he had to to keep playing, I understand. But I would hate to see him in those Rams colors. One guy to me that is interesting, just because he already has chemistry with the team, has been around, is Todd Gurley. He's a guy that I think could be an interesting fit. Obviously, you know what he did with Sean McVay, but it was knee issues and money that they moved off of him because of those reasons. Now, the knee issues still are a problem, but he won't have to be a true number one back. He would be a duo in the backfield with Daryl Henderson. And also, you look at it, money's no longer an issue. I think you can get him very cheap on this running back market right now. I think that'd be another good fit. Bring him in for a year, just a one-year contract. And I'm sure he would love to come back to the Rams organization, team that drafted him. I'm sure he would enjoy that. I really would like to see that fit. But the Le'Veon Bell one really does interest me. I like that one a lot. I don't think he gets back to Pittsburgh. I don't think he's all that far off from it if he is with Sean McVay in terms of what he can do out of the backfield receiving-wise. He may not total up all the rushing yards that he used to have, but... That receiving threat in the backfield really does intrigue me in a McVay offense. So now looking at this Cam Akers injury, does this affect the Rams' win total, in your opinion? We already did the NFC West record predictions. Do you think this injury cost them a game or two? I'm going to say no. I think that production production he would have given you is very valuable, but 
just the way the NFL is now, the evolution of the game and positions, most of what you're getting with a running back is there's definitely a lot of talent that goes into it, but a decent bit of it is scheme, blocking, and play calling. And that isn't affected very much by who you have in the backfield. So I think they're going to be able to replace his production with only a little bit of a drop. I think they might not get those explosive plays that Cam Akers might have been able to turn into an explosive play, but they'll still get the every down, uh, every normal down production that he would have given you. Yeah, I don't think it affects the win total either. And I think McVay's going to get really interesting with how he does replace him. With Jared Goff, this would be a lot, it would be a lot more harmful to your team if you lost a guy like this because Jared Goff relies so heavily on the play action. With Stafford, you're still going to be able to have him just be a straight drop back passer. I mean, have we seen what he's done in Detroit for many years? He's playing from behind a lot, so he knows how to just be a straight drop back passer the whole entire game. So he can handle that there. And Sean McVay's creative. I mean, he'll find ways to get this offense going. The Rams, they do want to keep the defense honest before they try to beat them deep with the pass game with Matthew Stafford. Ways they can do that without utilizing a running back, go to college football and take a look at what they do. A lot of bubble screens, screens in general. Just bring that defense up and make them hesitant. Because all Sean McVay in this offense needs is for you to take one step in the wrong direction and Stafford's going to fit a pass in right behind those linebackers. If the safety steps up and flat-footed, he's going to be able to get behind him. That's what Stafford and Sean McVay are going to be able to do. So I expect to see a lot of that out of them. Bubble screens, quick screens, jet sweeps, something to keep the defense honest that's not necessarily just running the football the typical NFL way we've seen. I mean, college football and the way the game has changed has really started to take over in the NFL. Like 2010, 2011, 2012, running quarterbacks, and still today in college football, have been huge pieces of college football. Now, the last few years, the NFL is starting to take out of their playbook a little bit. These dynamic running quarterbacks that can add such a big threat to NFL offenses. It's only a matter of time before you start to see teams almost go non-existent through the run and use these bubble screens and ways to set up their passing game. So now an interesting topic here. Peyton and Eli Manning are set to host a telecast of Monday Night Football on ESPN2. How do you think that's going to go? I think it it's a very boomer bust kind of thing. I think it could be very, very interesting or incredibly boring. Uh, I like the kind of alternative programming option, giving people a... A second choice. Uh, this has been done occasionally. They did it in the Home Run Derby, a, a stat cast broadcast. Uh, and it, I personally thought that one was the better uh, broadcast choice. And I think that can really also be the case here. Uh, Man- both Mannings have been in the league for so long. They have so many connections and they know so many stories about even current players. You can easily recall a lot of 
uh, the Mannings can recall a lot of interesting little stories and facts that they can uh, incorporate into the broadcast. And I think it's going to really humanize a lot of players and give a deeper insight. And fans always love that like deeper inside into uh, the players. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's, I mean, I know for me as a fan, it's one thing I love seeing is just kind of the human side of these NFL players that we give just this personality. And when you see them, you're like, it's just a regular person. It's like you and I. And that's something I think the game could really use. For me, I like this idea. I think it's going to go well. And I look at it from the point of you look at Peyton Manning, one of the smartest quarterbacks to ever play in NFL history. And then also, you look at him when he hosted the ESPYs. He's done a couple different roasts, things like that. He's he's funny, too. I mean, some of his jokes aren't the best, but he is funny at that. So now you have a guy who, I mean, you could argue is the smartest quarterback to ever play in NFL history, going through analysis, has some funny to him. And Eli Manning, as much as a lot of people like to give him grief for his NFL career, he was a personality, to say the least, in the NFL. And just the duo of them being brothers, I think also people are going to tune in. Hey, I want to check this out. Because you see the stuff that they do together on different shows or commercials or whatever. It's not terrible. It's not that bad. Especially when you look at Monday Night Football the last few years. It's really not been great already. So I don't think they can do a whole lot worse than what we've seen when with Booger and all that. I definitely think they can do a lot better than that. But that duo... Um, I think they can have a little comedy to the game, like you said, stories, and also be able to really diagnose a play and go through things. It's interesting, Peyton Manning always said he wasn't going to get into broadcasting very soon because he didn't want to have to critique former teammates. Now Peyton Manning's been out for a while, still some teammates around, but not that many. This could be a real opportunity for him now to step in, try it out, and see if he likes it because, like I said, on ESPN2, you have the choice. I mean, you got the, they've done Nickelodeon now, where you have a second channel to watch the games, which really didn't go great. I could, I know I personally couldn't watch it on that channel. So now you have, once again, more options. The NFL is really just trying to spread their market, get more people to pay attention, see what people like, and go from there. And so now looking at this duo, do you think there's a chance that this leads to a future for them in the announcing booth? Definitely. I think it will lead to a future in broadcasting for both of them. But I think it's going to have to be kind of an alternate broadcast where they're a little more casual, just kind of being themselves more than being broadcasters. And I think that's where they'll thrive. These alternate broadcasts have been very successful. I talked about the StatCast one. You said you weren't a fan of the Nickelodeon uh, kids broadcast. I wasn't either, but ratings-wise, it did very well. So it it was a win for the NFL. And I think just any sort of alternate broadcast is just giving people choices is always going to be helpful. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because the NFL, at the end of the day, they only care about the ratings and who they're bringing in. That's what they're doing by doing this, and it's working out well for them. Um, do I think there's a future there? Absolutely. And I think there's a future for a lot of former players. 
And it all started with what Tony Romo was able to do. I know there's been former players for years doing announcing things like that, but Tony Romo instantly came in and everyone just kind of gravitated towards him after they listened to his games. I mean, he was calling out plays in AFC championship games. And yes, he's missed a couple since then, but he's just calling out these plays, these audibles. Oh, look out for this. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. And as a fan, as a casual viewer who may not understand all that, it makes it so much more intriguing knowing that, oh, okay, this means this, this means that. It gives you a deeper insight into the game that you may not have had at that point, a deeper respect for those players. I mean, you look at Tom Brady a couple different times in that game-winning drive against the Chiefs in that championship game Romo called. Called a couple different audibles that led to big plays to get the Chief, to get the Patriots down the field. That's something that without Tony Romo, the casual viewer would have had no idea that Tom Brady was out there making these changes and setting that drive up. It goes to show you how great Tom Brady is. I think it brings a whole new dimension to the game. And for as smart as Tony Romo is, I think Peyton Manning is that and more. And his connections with a guy like Tom Brady, he's going to have all types of stories about Tom Brady. I mean, those two went at it for years. I think Peyton Manning can really... I mean, Eli's going to be a nice... Nice to have too, but for me, it's Peyton Manning. I think he really has a career in this business if he chooses to do it, and I think it's going to start here. I will, I do think he's going to enjoy it, and it's going to start something new. I mean, ESPN, CBS, Fox—they've been trying to get Peyton Manning for years, and now they finally have the opportunity. I think it's going to be—it's going to go well, and he's going to enjoy it. And now, looking at Peyton and Eli, this duo, brothers together, do you think they could go down as the best duo? Two announced games together? I'm going to say no, just right off the bat. Uh, I want to see their work first, essentially. I Eli Manning, you said it well. He He's a personality. He's a character. Um, adds a lot of goofiness, I guess, to just everything he does. I'm interested to see exactly like what they're envisioning. And the only time we're going to see that is Monday nights. Uh, but this does, in my opinion, open up an avenue for more alternate broadcasts and something that a lot of fans really like, mic'd up stuff. I think uh, just any sort of mic'd up interaction could really be brought into these broadcasts live. I know it was a couple years ago someone threw out the idea of you get someone like Deion Sanders, that's not going to happen anymore because he's coaching now, but Deion Sanders, you have a couple of players mic'd up and you just tell stories about players talking trash and you have that unfiltered on the air, obviously on a uh, not children-friendly uh, broadcast, but I think that would be really interesting to watch, just bringing more of the players' personality to the fans at home. Yeah, I mean, that's what every real fan wants. I mean, they just want to see some more of these personalities. I mean, these personalities that you see in sports, fans tend to really gravitate towards players like that. And that's just another way to add more to it, add more names to that list of players that these average fans gravitate towards and just fans in general gravitate towards. I think that would be key for the NFL. I'm with you. I don't think they'll... I, I don't picture this going like fantastic enough where they're the best duo of all time. I think it'll go good, but I don't think they'll ever be the best duo. I mean, there's been some really, really good duos throughout the years. 
You look, guys, with John Madden. I mean, you look at just, in general, big-time announcers. They'll be hard to pass up. Guys like Joe Madden. And people have all types of different takes on him. But the duo of Troy Aikman and Joe Buck, been doing it a very long time, called a lot of big moments in NFL history. That's going to be tough. And that's the thing, too. They're, if they get a big moment that they announce and that's what goes down with those big plays, that's how you get remembered. Joe Buck has a lot of those. Troy Aikman, that duo has a lot of those. John Madden has a lot of those. So for me, I do think it's going to be very difficult for them to go down as the best duo, but I'm excited to see it. I think it'll be fun, interesting, and they're going about it in a good way. So we're going to take our last break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to go through our NFL quarterback rankings. We're going to go 1 through 38, and we're going to go 1 through 7 each week until we get to number 38, ranking the best quarterbacks in the NFL in the order of our choosing. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back in to Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 in the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me, as always, is David Meyer. Like I said before the break, we're going to go through our NFL rankings, go 1 through 38, so some backups will be included, rookies will be included as well, and explain the, why we have these quarterbacks in the order that we have them. We're going to start out tonight with the first quarterback from our list. David, who do you have there? Uh, it's There isn't too much debate here for number one, Patrick Mahomes. Just electric in every way a quarterback can be. He's got great vision of the field, an absolute cannon for an arm, and the ability to use it well. He's an accurate passer uh, across his body, off his back foot, diving with his left hand. He can make pretty much any pass look easy, and the stats are there too. It definitely helps that he's surrounded by great weapons, but he's still probably the best quarterback in the league right now yeah and it's going through this list I have one through 38 completed already and it was a lot more difficult than I originally thought putting these guys in order I also have Mahomes at one and it was tough because you look at guys like Wilson Rogers Allen what separates Patrick Mahomes from those guys for me it separates him from a guy like Josh Allen is just pure consistency. That, for me, is what puts him over Allen. You look at guys like Rodgers, Wilson, age comes into play as well. But when I look at Patrick Mahomes, being so dynamic is why I have him here. Any throw for Patrick Mahomes is an easy one. And I love how he can shift the momentum of a game just like that. With a snap of his fingers, the game is changed. The momentum, he can make a big play. You look at the Super Bowl that he won. It was a third and 15, falling off his back foot and just launched it 45, 50 yards downfield right into Tyreek Hill's lap. Changed the game. Anytime you as a quarterback with being down 14 to 21 points and still being able to come back in the playoffs, you're a good quarterback. You're doing something right. Tyreek Hill is perfect for him in terms of what he does. Gets open deep downfield. Mahomes came into the league a pure gunslinger, a guy who could sling it all over the field, and now he's developed into a guy who's one of the smarter QBs in the NFL. Interesting enough, Patrick Mahomes in his MVP season, 50 touchdown passes, 
he said that he couldn't even read an NFL defense until the end of his MVP season. And he threw 50 touchdowns and threw for 5,000 yards. And he said he couldn't read a defense till then. The thing about Mahomes, too, we've not even seen the best of Patrick Mahomes. And that's scary to think about. Last year, 38-6. and And what he did in that Super Bowl, yes, they lost to Tampa Bay. But Mahomes was running all over the place. Some of the throws he made, you, I would guarantee you could not find made anywhere else. You, a couple that come to mind, one he was rolling out to the left, and he just launched one to the back of the end zone. And he got it into the corner, and his receiver just couldn't hold on and get his feet down. Another one, it was the fourth down play that I believe was interceptor, tipped away. But he was completely laying horizontally and was firing it to the end zone. 20, 25-yard pass, that is that is something God did not make people and say, you should be able to do that. But Mahomes has that talent, so that's why he's at one for me, just an undeniable talent. Who do you have at number two in your quarterback rankings? Number two on my rankings, I think this is because I've seen him play just so much and tear up the Bears every time. Aaron Rodgers, number two. That's... An interesting thing about Rodgers at number two is he might not even play this season. We talked about it the entire time, but he's still at number two, even with the doubts about how much he's going to play this year because he's just that good. And he's been that good for a very long time. He had 48 touchdowns and five picks. This is one of the best seasons he's had and just an absolutely elite player for years. It's just, it's fun to watch him play, not fun to watch him play against. Yeah, for me, Rodgers is at my number three spot. At number two, I have Russell Wilson. I have Russell Wilson here because Rodgers and Wilson, in my opinion, are very close. Obviously, the age is a factor for me. But also, I look at Russell Wilson, I put, I look at him, in terms of my top five, I don't think there's been a quarterback who has performed has performed as well as he has with as little as he has. You look at these other guys, they all have top weapons, top offensive lines, something to help them out. Russell Wilson, until just recently, he got now has Metcalf and Lockett, so don't get me wrong, he has nice targets now, but his offensive line has never been that great, and as of recently, it's been terrible. And then you look at his weapons early on in his career, Undrafted Doug Baldwin, Jermaine Kurz. I mean, these guys have big plays in NFL history, and only because of Russell Wilson. He is one of those quarterbacks that makes everyone else around him so much better than they really are, and that is a huge attribute that Russell Wilson has. He doesn't have the Mahomes ability where he can just make, he can just flick it off of any foot, things like that. But in terms of a deep ball. I think Russell Wilson probably has the best, most pretty deep ball in the NFL. I mean, he just drops it in a bucket consistently and is a thing of beauty. That's what Russell Wilson brings to this team. And you look at quarterbacks in the NFL, I would put him and Tom Brady. If I need a guy to take me down the field, win a game, I'm taking one of those two because those two are so clutch, and not every quarterback has that. Just that clutch gene, that ability to go finish off these big games. Russ seems to do that time and time again. If Seattle doesn't realize to get an offensive line around him, we're going to see him have 40 touchdown years. 
31 touchdown years with only five interceptions and not have anything to show for in the postseason because he needs O-line help bad. Talk about Mahomes on Super Bowl running around for his life. Russell Wilson's made his money off of doing that for most of his career. So mad props to Russell Wilson. I have him at number two in my quarterback rankings. And now to the third spot. Who do you have there? I have the just previously mentioned Russell Wilson. You you pretty much laid out everything that needed to be said. He's just elite. He's clutch. And just with how little he has around him, not necessarily talent. Uh, he has great wide receivers, but there isn't much of a run game. I could not name the Seahawks tight end if I tried. It was Greg Olson, but he got hurt. Uh, their line is pretty much nothing. He's on pace to be the most sacked quarterback of all time, and he has not missed one game. He started every game in his career, and he's, like you said, running for his life and still putting up 40 touchdowns and 13 interceptions. Being one of the most pressured quarterbacks, top 10 in pressured and pressure percentage, and just being able to do all of this with that coming in your face and no run game to help you. That's if that's not top three, I don't know what is. Yeah, Russell Wilson's fantastic. Um, my third spot, like I said earlier, I have Aaron Rodgers in that spot. And with Rodgers, he's dealt with some injuries um, as of late in his career. But coming off MVP season, he's an easy top three quarterback in the NFL. And the thing I love about Aaron Rodgers is just his consistency of his deep ball. It looks like he's just barely flicking his wrist, and it just flies. It soars downfield. And that's one thing that he's always had. He's probably, if I had to put the most accurate QB in the NFL, I'd put it on him. He really... He makes any throw that you need to have made. The only issue I have with him is in the postseason, some of that uh, lack of success when they get to those big games. But that's something that you can't entirely put on him, but you can put a decent amount on him because he is the quarterback. And if you're the quarterback of a team, you're either going to get all the praise or you're going to get all the hate. That's the way it is. But you look at this this season he had last year, talk about accurate. Completed 70% of his passes while having 48 touchdowns. He doesn't turn the ball over. That's one thing that he has never done. Never been a high turnover guy. For me, if he really wants to cement himself in NFL history up into that top five, he gets another Super Bowl ring. He could really cement himself as a top five quarterback of all time. And I think that's the only thing holding him back, truly. You look at a guy like Peyton Manning. He got that second ring, and it was, okay, top three quarterback all time. That's where he was instantly ranked when he did that. The same thing sits for Aaron Rodgers. He knows what he needs to do, and it's going to be an interesting offseason to see what he decides at the end of the day. Now moving to the fourth spot in our quarterback rankings, who do you have there? At the number four spot, I have Josh Allen. He took a huge step forward. Just He was, he was a good quarterback in 2018. It wasn't great, mainly a guy using his legs and then throwing as kind of a secondary skill. Uh, go to 2019, completion percentage is up, interceptions are down, just really settling into that quarterback 
fully through and through quarterback role. And then this year is it was his coming out party. He was throwing the ball more. His completion percentage was up 11%, and he threw for 4,500 yards. There, there isn't a lot I need to say past that. He had still uh, interception percentage was down. 37 touchdowns, 10 picks, and he can still run the ball very well. He just isn't because he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to be the guy that's always on his feet using his legs as his weapon. He's using that more sparsely and using it more effectively. He has 25 touchdowns rushing in his first three games, or first three seasons, my bad. Um, Just to be able to do that and still be as good a quarterback as he is, is just mind-blowing. Yeah, Josh Allen, He the one thing that I would say when I compare him to these other guys, his mobility and his ability to keep plays alive consistently, I'd put him up there in the top top of the NFL and keeping plays alive. And when he does that, it's not just, okay, it's a decent game. I mean, he's keeping plays alive and making a deep pass. Coming out of college, he had a crazy arm. Accuracy was a monster issue, though. And like you said, his accuracy has improved a lot, up almost a 70% completion guy in the NFL, which is fantastic. Josh Allen, what we saw this year, is not the best Josh Allen. He's going to continue to get better. I, I really believe he could be a 45-touchdown, 6-7-pick guy. I really believe he could get to that. Adding Stephon Diggs for him was the best thing to ever happen to Josh Allen's career, and you could argue the same for Stephon Diggs. I mean, both just took monster steps forward at their positions. Josh Allen, for me, you look at his size. If I was to build a quarterback and I wanted to pick the size of somebody, I would take him. 6'5", 240. He is hard to bring down. He has a great arm. He really is fantastic in all facets of the game. The only thing you have to worry about is some of those intermediate throws at times get away from him. His accuracy is improving, and we've seen multiple times this year some throws he had where he just put it on a line and threaded the needle. If he does that consistently, he's going to take a step up in my rankings, and right now he's fourth. So there's really not much higher you can go, but if he finds a way to be consistent in that intermediate game, he's going to take a step forward for me, up probably to three, two or three at that point. So now the fifth. Best quarterback in the NFL in our rankings. David, who do you have there? I have Lamar Jackson. He's all the things on the ground that Josh Allen is and more. He is, I think, one of the best athletes in the league overall. And it's either him or Josh Allen as the best quarterback athlete in the league. He's able to do so much on the ground and that opens up the passing game for him he took a big uh, leap from year one to year two Uh, the accuracy the completion percentage uh, those interception numbers were down there was kind of that third year slump he was still very good but not 
as good as we've seen him be. I think the biggest, just statistic-wise, he doesn't throw for a lot of yards, but that's because he's not throwing a lot of passes. He's more doing stuff with his legs and also throwing the ball. The fact that he can do both really opens up the game for Baltimore, and I think he's just a fantastic quarterback going forward, and that's why he's fifth on my list. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to see why he is the MVP just a few years ago because he is truly a great runner at that. For me, my fifth spot, I have a guy here that right now – there's a lot of issues going on outside of the sport, which is a different topic to discuss. If any of that is true, obviously Deshaun Watson will never play in the NFL again, and rightfully so, if that is all true that is being out, uh, alleged against him. But for me, right now, fifth, I have Deshaun Watson. When you look at him as a quarterback, he's gotten a lot better. He went from an 18 and 19, a guy who was that, obviously his talent was there, But he was stat-wise in the middle tier type. He made a huge jump this year. 33 touchdown guy, 7 interceptions, completion percentage over 70. And the thing about Deshaun Watson is he's a guy that he really can make every throw at each level. And that's not something every quarterback can do in the league. Some struggle in different areas. Watson can make every throw in the NFL you need. He doesn't have the biggest arm like Mahomes. He doesn't have the ability just to run right and sling it all the way back across like a Josh Allen. But he'll make every throw from a clean pocket, having to escape. He'll make all those throws. And also, you talk about crunch time, a guy who steps up big. It's always been Deshaun Watson. Clemson, he was fantastic in the crunch. And Houston, I don't know how many times I've seen him put Houston in a winning position, just the defense, to lose the lead and then lose that game. One game that comes to mind to me, they were down a couple scores to Buffalo um, against against Buffalo in a wild card game in 2019, and he Watson brings them back, and they're able to win that game. He has the comeback mentality. He can make all the throws at each level. He's mobile. He doesn't have the speed of Lamar. For me, Watson's a good mix of all these top guys, and that's what makes him such a good quarterback. So for me, I have Deshaun Watson at that fifth spot. Now going to the sixth spot in your quarterback rankings, who do you have there? Uh, I chose uh, not to have Deshaun Watson on this list. So at number six, I have Ryan Tannehill. I think I am definitely a lot higher on Tannehill than other people are. And putting him above some of the guys that are lower on this list was uh, a choice I made. And... I'm going to stick to it. I am just a big fan of Ryan Tannehill. Being able to put up the numbers he did in Miami with Adam Gase and be a productive quarterback under Adam Gase, even if it was limited production, is just great. Then coming into Tennessee, he's really only had one full year in Tennessee as their starter and in that year he was just fantastic 65 percent completion uh 3,800 yards 33 touchdowns seven picks the numbers are there and they improved from the previous season 
he's going to get better and better. Even if he is 32, I think he's still just going to keep growing because now he's finally on a team that can build around him. And he just has so much talent around him to do pretty much whatever he wants. And I think he's going to achieve what he set out what he sets out to do. Yeah, and Julio is going to help him out a lot. It's going to put everyone in that team in a lot better position. For me at my seven my sixth spot, excuse me, I have Lamar Jackson. And when I look at what Lamar Jackson does on the football field, I have him at sixth because these other guys they're game records in terms of what they do with their arms. Lamar is a game record with his speed. It's game-breaking speed, and that's what separates Lamar Jackson from these other running quarterbacks, in quotes. He is the top. He is the best. And there's a reason that he ran for 1,000, also threw for 1,000. I would like to see Baltimore use him more as a straight-up quarterback because as we get to these big moments, they're going to need him to step up and do that. One thing Baltimore needs to do is get him some weapons, get him some legit targets that can help him out. Because coming from Louisville, they knew accuracy was an issue. Why not get him some bigger body targets, some guys with a big catch radius, help him out, make things easier on him. Instead, you bring in some shorter speed guys that put more pressure on him. Yeah, sure, they can get open, they can separate, but at the same time, we knew deep ball accuracy was also an issue. He has a good arm, but the accuracy on it is the issue. And that's why I don't think Hollywood Brown has really developed either. It's just a bad situation for both of them to be in. But the Ravens this year loaded up in the running back spot, loaded up on the offensive line. I think they're going to go all in on this power run, Greg Roman offense, and more power to them. I just think it's going to get difficult come playoff time. And that's what separates Lamar right now. He was the MVP just a year, two years ago. For me, what separates him from these other guys is pure just accuracy issues. And if I need to trust him to make a big throw, I don't know if I necessarily can. But if it doesn't get to that situation, then you're fine. Because he's such a good athlete, he could already have 40 points scored by halftime. That's how good this Ravens team was in 2019. So that's why he's so high on my list. Because the things that he needs to work on can be fixed, can be helped. And that's why, for me, I think he's going to continue to get better. And for me, he's at my sixth spot in my quarterback rankings. So now we're going to the seventh spot. Who do you have there? I have Dak Prescott. It was really, for me, it was hard to place where Dak should be on this list because he was injured for most of last season. He has a lot of talent, just insane amounts of talent, but the team around him isn't great. His offensive line is so-so. And the defense in Dallas is a mess. But he puts up huge numbers. Almost 5,000 yards passing in 2019. Uh, the touchdown numbers, you'd like to be higher. But he's still doing incredible things that I don't think most quarterbacks can do with the team he has. Just very clutch to me coming into just Dallas as a whole, he he gives them a lot of confidence and the ability to do a lot of different things because he can come in and throw the ball to anywhere. Just 
elite accuracy and a cannon for an arm. He can do so much on that field. You just need to put a solid team around him. And I think that's a decent bit of what Dallas is, Dallas is struggling with at the moment. And the moment we see Dak Prescott on a actual team that could win games without him is when we're going to see his potential fully unlocked and he's going to have a monster season. Yeah, Dak Prescott is a fantastic quarterback, and he's a guy that I think is going to even get better um, from this injury that he had. For me at my seventh spot, I have Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time. I have Tom there. This past season, you could argue was one of his best. It is one of his best years you've ever had, but you could argue statistically his second best year he ever had, 40 touchdown years, the second most touchdowns he's ever had. Yardage-wise, he was up there pushing 5,000. And 65% completion percentage. Tom Brady was fantastic this year, especially after coming off a year where everyone thought he was kind of washed. Like, it was done. Tom Brady was over. He proves everyone wrong, goes out there, wins the Super Bowl Tampa Bay. Tom Brady, to me, he beats you with how intelligent he is and his mobility within the pocket. And I'm not talking running. I'm talking his footwork within the pocket. He is so elite at stepping out of sacks, stepping away, giving him just a half a second longer to release the football and hit his open man. That's what's made Tom Brady so good for so long. When you're a quarterback and you ran a 5-2-40, you have to adapt and find different ways to keep yourself alive. That's what he's been able to do. He keeps plays extended with his footwork. He's not going to run out the pocket. He's going to stay in the pocket, step around, and hit open guys. That's what makes him so good. And also, you look at Tom Brady, for the arm of a 40 three-year-old it's still pretty good still fantastic and for me Tom Brady age is the only thing holding him back from being in my top five it's just solely age everything he does on a football field is fantastic I mean you really there's not many knocks on this guy from what he's done from a football standpoint and that's why he's going to go down as the greatest quarterback of all time and in my opinion he already is so now we're going to do our eighth and final spot for this week's episode David, who do you have at that spot? I have uh, the greatest of all time, the aforementioned Tom Brady. Just elite in every sense of the word. As clutch as they come, he has been a the quarterback for 39 comebacks and 48 game-winning drives. In the past 10 seasons, he's had nine years with 4,000 or more passing yards. The only exception to that was 2016, where he played four less games. And if he had averaged, he had kept the yards per game average that he set that year, he would have been well above 4,000. The touchdowns this year were up. The interceptions were as well, but that's just kind of what you're going to get in a Bruce Arians offense. You, You said it incredibly well the intelligence he brings to this team and to the field overall is just no one can match it and no one has there hasn't really been anyone who's been able to touch how effective Tom Brady can be when he's at his best when he is given time to survey the field understand everything that's going on 
He's the best at doing that. And that's exactly what your quarterback should do. And he does it so well that he just propels bad teams to Super Bowls. He was fantastic in 19, and that was a down year for him with a an offense that was just not good, just bad overall. He comes to Tampa Bay. Remember that one time I said Tampa Bay? Oh, that was terrible. I, I felt gross after that. Um, but he comes to Tampa, and we see, yeah, this 43-year-old guy has still got it. Yeah, I mean, there's really not a knock on Tom Brady. He's done it for such a long time. No one else at the quarterback spot can say that they've done that at that high of a level. My eighth spot, I have Dak Prescott, who was at your seventh spot. And for me, Dak Prescott's a guy that has consistently gotten better throughout his career. The touchdown numbers have gotten better. He was on pace for his best season this year before he got injured. He's a guy where Prescott and Deshaun Watson – if I wanted to just pick the ideal quarterback, just size, mobility, they're one of the first two guys that I'm going to in terms of everything I want, size-wise, mobility-wise. They make all the throws at each level at such a high rate that makes him an easy choice for that position. I also believe, coaching-wise, he's never had a great coach. He's never had, you could argue, never had a good coach. Jason Garrett, I've never been a fan of. Now Mike McCarthy, also not a huge fan of him. I would love to see a guy like this with these young play callers like a Shanahan, a McVay, um, a Sean Payton. I would love to see Dak with them because that type of offense would put Dak into the MVP conversation every single year. I think we underrate him because he is on the Cowboys. They do struggle, and that defense is terrible, so he always has to put up these great numbers just to even compete. So for me, Dak Prescott is a guy that's underrated because the team he's on. But if he was to get to a good team, and I know locked up now, so Dallas is it. He's not leaving. But if he was to go or get a better coach, he's a guy that would really just excel. And it would be almost like Ryan Tannehill-esque. Just a new system, new everything. He would truly excel, and you would put him in to your top six, top five quarterbacks because he really has all the talent in the world, the quarterback spot. So that is going to conclude our quarterback rankings this week. One through eight, pretty similar. Each have Swap Watson, Tannehill out. Outside of that, pretty similar throughout the rest of the way. And that's also going to conclude this episode of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. If you're on Instagram and Twitter, follow us at KLA underscore UC. Give us a like on our social media posts. And if you're on Facebook, look us up at Unsportsmanlike Conduct. Like I said, that concludes this episode of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. Thank you for listening, and good night. See ya.